Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Wednesday, December the 22nd, and we gather this next hour around the inspired and true Word of God, this Advent season to see Christ, who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The light shines on us today as we continue with Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus really hits home today. He addresses the idolatry of money, and he really puts it in the place of this, that if you have a lot or you don't have a lot, it still can be an idol. So beware, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He also reminds us that we are his beloved children. So this is an identity issue. This is who are we in Christ? And I don't know about you, but these are the kind of sermons that I need every single day. Perfect law and gospel giving us Jesus. And that's what we will do today for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org to hear more of their great work. We had the honor and privilege of having Dr. Matthew Heisey on recently, and he mentioned all these different translations that they're having for Afghan immigrants, um, for a new Spanish hymnal that's going to be distributed throughout the, throughout the world and the missions that we have in those areas, and it just keeps bringing Christ-centered Christ, solid, Christ uh, theological resources around the world. So visit lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word today, we welcome and have the honor of joining us the Reverend Dr. Paul Holtorf, Professor of Theology at Concordia University in Seward, Nebraska. Dr. Holtorf, welcome, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you very much, Pastor Finner. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, happy Advent, and how is Christmas looking for you? Christmas is looking wonderful. The weather will be nice for traveling, family and friends, and uh, places that are at our own home, but also traveling, and uh, really looking forward to being a part of the worship life of St. John Lutheran Church here in Seward. They always do a wonderful job with the music, and uh, so I'm going to put a plug in right away for St. John, <laughs> Seward, Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's and it's literally right across the street from where you it work, is. so it is a, <laughs> it's an easy place to get to. But Dr. Holtorf, I, I haven't done this yet. Can you? This is our first time together on the program to study God's Word. So you can tell us about yourself, your family, and God's work at Concordia University in Seward, Nebraska. Sure. Well, uh, Pastor, I uh, went to Concordia. Seward as an undergrad, and then went to Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, and following that, uh, received calls into the Nebraska district, which was just down the road from Seward, and then served at St. John for a bit, and then was called to Concordia University across the street. Uh, my wife, uh, Diane, also graduated as an undergrad from Concordia Seward, and so she uh, was able to pursue her vocations in, in business and that, and now we find ourselves here uh, serving serving Concordia, serving the community, serving St. John. Our two boys, Adam, graduated from Kansas State University and is working in the state of Kansas, and our, our other son, Derek, is a student at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. And mm -hmm. so as we have kind of reflected back now that we're empty nesters, it's it's just been really interesting to look back to see how God has kind of directed and guided us along the way to be in the same place where we went to school and then now to be a part of the same university, the same church, the same community that we got to know so well as undergrads. And so it's 
a lot of a lot of sense of thanksgiving, a lot of opportunities to give back, and uh, it truly is not to overuse the word, but we truly feel blessed to be where we're at. Well, thanks be to God. Tell us about what does it mean to be the chair of the theology department at Concordia University. What what does that mean for for our listeners? Well, you know, there's a lot of responsibilities that go with it, uh, Pastor, especially now as we find ourselves transitioning uh, with the retirements and then uh, pursuing uh, requests for for names and to review them for the full-time positions. And so within the last two, three years, we've found a lot of transitions out of our department, but again, staying connected as adjuncts uh, to the university. And so there's there's a uh, portion of my job where I oversee the the process of, of uh, soliciting names, reviewing names, interviews, and those kinds of things. I'm certainly not the only one that does that, but that is a portion of, of my work. The other part is to, you know, basically and, and obviously to maintain uh, sections of courses being offered to our students on campus and now online. And so not only finding uh, adjuncts to teach face-to-face here on campus, but now also finding adjuncts to teach online for us as we have moved some of our courses to both not only in, in person, but then also uh, distance-wide as well. And so there's an aspect of, of finding uh, individuals uh, to teach in those particular sections. And then really the last piece is really a, a, a focus on program review and assessment. Uh, that sounds really boring and, and stifling, I'm sure, but for <laughs> us to continue doing what we do, we have to uh, constantly look at what we do and, and review it, review the process, review the courses that we offered, and again, maintaining a strong Lutheran Christian uh, presence, understanding in the classroom takes that aspect of assessment uh, for us and it helps us grow as a department. So that's kind of a quick summary of, as to what really all is involved with the department chair job. That, well, that sounds like a lot to me, uh, no <laughs> doubt about it. Uh, so it's a, it's a reminder to our listeners to pray for our Concordias um, throughout the United States and different uh, colleges and our seminaries and the professors that work there, especially as, a, if the, as, they, as they work the very difficult road at times to be a university in the United States at the same time keeping true to our faith, which we're very blessed. So many good people working on that. And I wanted to share this, Dr. Holtorf, as I had Dr. Holtorf in 1999, this would have been the spring of 1999, and, and I, you have to be very patient to work with a wide variety of people and their biblical knowledge, and mine was very minimal. So um, I remember sitting there and hoping you would never call on me because uh, like, <laughs> I probably would not know the answer. But I remember your patient teaching, um, beloved other people in the class and everything. So, well, for, so thank you, first of all. But second of all, that uh, your work definitely bears fruit and, and the Lord works through his word as we trust in Isaiah 55. So, so um, thank yeah, you. That's, to God, that's be, joy. To God be the glory. Yes. Absolutely. Well, Pastor, as, as on that note, as we're here to study Matthew chapter 6, uh, can you begin our, our time in prayer and ask for his glory to be um, given as we study his word? Let us pray. Lord God, bless your word wherever it is proclaimed. Make it a word of power and peace to convert those not yet your own and to confirm those who have come to saving faith. May your word pass from the ear to the heart, from the heart to the lip, and from the lip to the life, that as you have promised, your word may achieve the purpose for which you send it, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. 
Reminder to our listeners, if you have any questions concerning Matthew chapter 6, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org, or call 314-821-0850. And this is a question not only for Matthew chapter 6, but any part of Matthew, as I've been mentioning that we will be in Matthew until Easter. So we're taking our time, slowing down, making sure we have everything um, in the right order, and just really, um, there's only so much our brains can take in at a time. So here's a great opportunity for you to be able to study and to be um, in God's Word. So any questions, send us an email or give us a call. So uh, Dr. Holtorf, as we look at Matthew chapter 6, everything is done in context. There's always a lot surrounding a text, and today's I think of, you know, of all the sermons I'm on, very well known. So, so how do you want to start us off on the right foot today? Well, uh, Pastor, if you don't mind, I want to kind of give a, a perspective through a teacher's eyes, if I if I could. Please, that's why you're here. As, <laughs> as as I look at as I look at the text, I see it in a greater sense of context, as you mentioned. And what's striking about Matthew's gospel in its entirety is the organization of all of the content that, that's in Matthew's Gospel. As we look at, you know, this first discourse of this teaching that Jesus offers here in Matthew chapters 5 to 7, we see that this isn't the only discourse or teaching that Jesus does. He does this four other times in Matthew's Gospel. And the way Matthew has it arranged here, we see that there's a sense of, teaching and then a sense of narrative, a sense of teaching or a discourse and a sense of narrative. And it's this interplay between those two uh, sections of the scriptures that go back and forth in Matthew. So as a teacher, I'm fascinated by the focus Matthew places upon these discourses or teachings. The one that we have now is in within chapters 5 to 7. And so you have this aspect of teaching in Jesus's ministry here, front and center. And so as a teacher, not only is it organized, which a teacher likes to have a lesson plan organized, <laughs> but as you look at the text itself in the entirety of the gospel, there is a strong sense of organization. So that's where I'd kind of like to start today. So as we look at our, our chapter 6... Um, any, any first remarks on that organization and the teaching that Jesus is doing here? First remarks? Yeah, yes. I mean, when, when we look at chapter 6 and specifically verses 19 to 34, you can see Jesus moving from what he says in chapter 5 with the Beatitudes and then moving into chapter 6 and, and, in, and in good teaching fashion, repeat Go back to what was said previous, kind of strengthen, reinforce it, as an use an illustration for a teaching device, and then move the listener forward with another teaching idea. So, for instance, in, in our text here, in verses 19 to 34, we see Jesus speaking about things that he would have covered previously in chapter 6 regarding the Lord's Prayer. And so as you look at the Lord's Prayer and what he says, and this is how one should pray, you know, you have strong connections here to the things of the kingdom, and you have strong connections here to daily bread. And, and so Jesus is really taking the listener forward now in, what, in our section today with what he had said previously in chapter 6. And one could maybe even make the case that Jesus reaches all the way back to chapter 5, where Jesus in the Beatitudes talks about two or three different times here about how those 
who are, for instance, uh, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, you could go into verse 6 and says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And then in verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So even mm-hmm. in chapter 5, uh, one can see a connection to what Jesus is talking about here now in chapter 16, verses 19 to 34. Anything else you want to... I mean, because this is very helpful because there is such an interconnection of the whole Sermon on the Mount. And and also, uh, we, we've heard this continuously as we've studied this, is is that piece of um, that we are poor in spirit. You know, who is the most blessed? Those who are poor in spirit. And and to me, our, our text today really it, it points us, one, to that reality, that we are truly poor in spirit because we can't handle money, we get anxious over small things, um, you know, we don't seek first the kingdom of God. So you look at this and you realize right away that, boy, holy cow, I am that poor in spirit and I need help. And that's another aspect we see throughout Matthew that, you know, Joseph was going to divorce his wife. And the only reason he didn't is because the angel of the Lord intervened, you know, those kind of situations. They always need that divine intervention. So I really do see that that, that teaching really running through. I love how you pointed pointed that out for us today in the organization that the Lord led Matthew to do. So anything else before we start digging in? Well, you know, and the other overarching idea here, Pastor Finneran, is the idea of the kingdom. And I know you've had Dr. Gibbs on earlier, and I had a chance to listen to the opening uh, session with him. And as as he emphasizes the idea of kingdom, you know, we, we need to keep that within the context. And as, you know, maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but as we think about the the season of Advent now and going into Christmas, that how this idea of kingdom now becomes that incarnate kingdom for us. And so these things that that Jesus is pointing out here in chapter 6, these are not necessarily virtues only, right? Peace and righteousness. Right. Th- these are things that Christ himself embodied came into this world so that by faith, inspired and created by the Holy Spirit, we can receive those uh, gifts of righteousness and peace and faithfulness and all these things that are mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount, but then also help us understand what this text here in chapter 6 is really about for us as we consider these words that Jesus spoke. Well, I'm, I'm ready to dig in. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, so a reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version of of the Holy Scripture of Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. We'll begin by reading verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and dust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, Dr. Holtorf, let's start with an extreme example. I'm not a hoarder, and I've watched that show quite a bit. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not a hoarder, so I'm, I'm doing pretty good here. You know, I go to church on Sunday, so, you know, uh, it sounds like I got this, these couple of verses pretty well done. What would be your response? Well, before I respond, I, too, have to look in the mirror myself, and I have to look at you know, that not only my actions, but my attitudes. And when I think about not only my actions and attitudes, but I also know that I'm 
I'm broken and fall short of the kingdom of God. I, even though my actions might be pointing to, hey, I have everything under control and I'm not a hoarder, inside the, the old Adam is still wanting to tell me that, you know, you don't have enough. And, and so as we look at these mm-hmm. first a couple of verses, we all need to remind ourselves that even though we may have a false sense of our piety in this, uh, that doesn't that doesn't remove us or excuse us from the temptations that may come about because of the idea of of wealth or the idea of <clears throat> property or goods or whatever those things might be. And that's a good reminder because I remember during seminary that we were at a church that had a number of people who were below the poverty line. I remember the pastor talking about um, the idolatry of money. And I remember my first thought was, well, what do you mean? There's a lot of people who don't have much. Obviously, that's not an issue for them. And I remember then he said right in the sermon is, is just because you don't have money doesn't mean that you don't want it. Just because you don't have stuff doesn't mean you don't desire it and brings it right back to the heart, which which makes it very frustrating <laughs> text to hear mm-hmm. because you at least want to know I have that figured out. Um, uh, and, and so what, I mean, what is the danger of, of, okay, I don't have a lot of stuff and just a design a little bit. What's the big deal? What is Jesus really hitting at in these first few verses? Well, I, you know, again, as, as we have kind of reflected upon here early on, Jesus is reflecting upon the heart. Uh, I found a quote from Luther out of the large catechism as, as it related to the first commandment and, and specifically to this text, he says this final statement this desire for wealth clings and sticks to our nature all the way to the grave. Mm. I really like that statement because it speaks again to we're never really secure. And when we are secure, that's when we need to be careful because then we have sort of convinced ourselves that we're sort of above this temptation or that we're above the, the pursuit of wealth, again, uh, for ways that would not be pleasing to God or to serve the kingdom, right? So, again, it's a heart issue, as Jesus is pointing out, I see here. And, again, that's where not only repentance has to to start, but it's also where uh, receiving forgiveness and salvation also is as well. As I kind of use that opening prayer from the Lutheran service book, it's Mm -hmm. that idea of, you know, hearing that word so it may pass from the ear to the heart, right, to, to, mm-hmm. to that innermost point of the being, and then to the lip. Now, there's a few. We want to make sure we have some of these terms right. I think treasure on earth is, earth is obviously stuff that we have here on this side of eternity. That, 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 that's kind of obvious, and it's obvious when you when you take some cold, old antique, and, and I say I don't really care for antiques, but, you know, mm-hmm. Yeah, as as I think about this heart issue here in these initial verses and this idea of treasure, uh, this treasures in heaven uh, reminds us of some of the parables Jesus speaks about uh, in the other Gospels as well. And especially as we think about these treasures, uh, it can be not only just money, but other ideas. Uh, maybe a treasure in heaven could also be reputation that that people strive for and desire for. So then even even though the the idea of money or wealth is not prominent in a person's life, maybe there are other yep. ideas that that could also be considered treasures. I'm here. I'm was, here. Sorry. Very good. As <laughs> as I was talking about the treasures piece, Pastor 
you know, it, it could also be idea of reputation as well. It doesn't necessarily yeah. have to be the focus on money. And, and that's kind of why I like the, the, what, the other English word mammon, because mammon has this much more, in my opinion, a much more encompassing idea of what it means to have treasures rather than just simply wealth or money. So that, I mean, that's a good, re, a good reminder for us. Um, the treasures in heaven piece, uh, did you touch on that at all? I spoke, you know, I spoke about the treasures that one might pursue here on earth, but I did not go into the idea of the treasures in heaven. Yeah, so what, how, do we, uh, how do we look at that correctly? Because that's an important piece, too, because, um, well, that can be misunderstood. So how would you speak about that correctly, the treasures in heaven? Yeah, and so maybe this this idea of of treasures in heaven is is a piece where, as as we look at verses nineteen and twenty, the rest of the text can kind of help us out here a little bit. Uh, so, like where it talks about the eye is the lamp of the body, uh, as we talk about the idea of the eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. And so, as as we think about this idea of treasure, you know, we have to consider maybe the whole person here and. As, as the eye is healthy, as the body is healthy, as, as it receives the light, uh, what more in treasures of heaven could one uh, receive than forgiveness and life eternal? So let's do this. Let's continue 23 and we'll go um, excuse me, 22 through 24 and then expand on that, if you will, because this can be kind of a tricky piece here. Like, what's the eye? What's the lamp? What is the body? How does this all fit? And so we get it all in context. So 23 through 24, 22 through 24. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will devote it to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So I, wanna, I wanted to ask about this because I found this fascinating. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, the whole body would be full of light. Um, describe that to us. What does that mean? Well, as, as I looked into this, you know, Pastor, I... I came across several individuals who would talk about the light and the eye as a sense of belief or faith, and then the idea of the darkness uh, is the sense of unbelief. And, and so if one looked at this text with that kind of lens of faith and unbelief, you could start to see how important it is for the eye of the lamp, uh, the eye is the lamp of the body, that the eye is receiving the idea of faith, receiving that light, but at the same time, if the eye is bad, i.e. maybe unbelief, um, you can see that the entire body, as, as Jesus says, will be full of darkness. And so then, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And so is it possible that, and I, I do kind of subscribe to this, that Jesus is talking about faith and unbelief here, and, right. and how critical faith is as then one starts to think about verse 24 about serving two masters. Uh, there's, there's really only two masters. There's faith or there's unbelief. And we, we understand the, the, what the fruit of the faith here, that if one has faith, has light, then that first commandment becomes that which, which faith carries out and follows through with by the Holy Spirit. But if it's unbelief, if it's darkness, 
then we know that that darkness is going up against and against the first commandment about having other gods. And so Jesus' final statement here, again, as a good teacher here in verse 24, you cannot serve God and money. It, Jesus wraps up this entire section here with really the essence of what he was after when he first started. It, it, it's treasures on earth, yes. Is it lamp? Yes. But ultimately, it's faith here that is the part that's healthy and again, which looks to God alone. And I really like, because we've used this quite a bit in our, in our study, um, we're studying the Old Testament, we speak, uh, as Luther would speak, is you put on your Christ goggles to see Jesus in the text. And, and sometimes that misses out with that understanding of the whole body, as you, as you emphasized at the beginning, that it's not just, okay, here are my eyes, my eyes are good, okay, then everything is good. Well, there is a certain point of that, you know, where my eyes look, that will affect my whole body. But also to realize the whole body, which includes faith, if, if your whole body is off, it doesn't matter what your eyes are doing because it's, it's not filtering it correctly. You're not putting the right goggles on, if you will, um, because the rest of it is darkness. How can the eye see light if the rest of the body is dark? I mean, it just doesn't work that way. So it really is this fascinating dynamic. And then to make it simple, it's about faith. And do you have faith in what master do you have faith in? And, and that's, that's a very troubling, <laughs> a troubling reality because of how easy, as you mentioned, this is a lifelong journey where it's really hard to, uh, to keep faith uh, in, in the world. So what would be the comfort to the Christian that's like, holy cow, I have idols. Boy, do I have a lot of them. What do I do? It says I need to keep faith. Uh, that can lead to despair. What would be your words to them? Well, my encouragement to them is, as to really all of us, Pastor Finneran, is the idea of going to God's Word, repenting of those opportunity those situations where where we have seen those opportunities or where we have fallen short and ask for forgiveness to to seek out God's word to seek out his sacrament so that we can be refreshed uh, you said a very interesting word as to the setup this morning and it's not something i had really considered and that word was identity and mm. this is really where we get our identity uh we get our identity because our identity is in Christ and and so as we think about that idea of repentance and, and forgiveness, uh, confession and absolution, therein lies our restoration and our identity, because our identity could get skewed very quickly, as we all know, if, if we went down this path of darkness, if, if we went down this path of unbelief, if we turn to the idols, and uh, not just idols of wealth and money, but idols of reputation and title and and status and all of the things that seem to kind of be there in Western society today, we could go down that path very quickly and forget that our true identity is in Christ. Well, I want to touch more on that on the other side of our break. We are starting off on an awesome foot as we look to God's Word this morning. We need to take our break. We are studying Matthew chapter 6, and we'll be right back.
These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back. We are studying Matthew chapter 6 with Dr. Paul Holtorf of Concordia University in Seward, Nebraska. And Dr. Holtorf, as we look at our text today, um, we've talked, I mean, it's, it's pretty, boy, it's pretty tough when we look at the idols we all have. I know for me, as we look at this, it can be quite trying because we know these idols. And you pointed us back once again to the grace of Christ and where he, why he has gifts to give because that keeps us in the faith. So as we don't want to lay up treasures in heaven, any last thoughts before we move on to when Jesus speaks about being anxious? Well, this might be a segue, but uh, one of the things that I also had in mind when we first started is that contextually Matthew's gospel, one can see that, that Matthew, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is writing to possibly young catechumens. And and I know Dr. David Scare has, has taken this position mm-hmm in his book, Discourses in Matthew. And one should maybe always keep that in mind, too, that the audience that is receiving this gospel are the young in faith. And and again, it's maybe comforting for some, certainly is for me, to understand that whether you're old in the faith or young in the faith, <clears throat> the idea here is to understand that Christ has given the gifts to all of his children, and so as one thinks about these challenges that maybe these young catechumens were facing, uh, they could see that special sense of grace that God was giving to them in Jesus Christ as they were reading these words again that we've covered so far. And I know uh, Dr. Gibbs talks about how when we look at this, not only do we have the comfort that, that Christ has died for this and we receive that forgiveness of sins, but also that Jesus was obedient to this himself and that he will, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to live that holy life that he has called us to do. Obviously, in the canopy of God's grace and in, in, in the identity as his baptized child. Um, and so there's there's this, this wonderful grace that fills us. I mean, it can fill you with guilt right away, too, but also it fills you with grace and knowing Jesus did live this perfect life and he by the power of the Holy Spirit, helps us to live this holy life, knowing that this forgiveness is for us as well. So, yeah, it. it but I, I do have to repent, and so I'll go uh, receive forgiveness from my father confessor here at some point. So, anyways, yeah. any other thoughts yeah. you have, Pastor? Well, I mean, there's always thoughts. You know me. <laughs> there's always <laughs> thoughts. But, you know, one thing, again, th- th- this is a section that when one starts to dig into the text— you start to realize that what you thought you knew, now all of a sudden, you probably knew it, but there's much more nuance and meaning attached to it. So, for instance, this idea of the kingdom, I'm going to go back to Dr. Gibbs's point mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. the kingdom in Matthew's gospel, that, you know, what does it mean for, for us to pray, thy kingdom come? And so, again, taking from Luther's small catechism, that that. God would give us his Holy Spirit for for what purpose? To believe his word and to lead godly lives. Well, this idea of believing 
as we talked about with the light to living godly lives and carrying out these things that Jesus is putting before us here in the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, this is all kingdom work. This is all kingdom language here, Pastor. And and this is, again, this is God's work. We are the recipients. He calls He calls us out to preach and teach so that others might hear the same word. And again, that thy kingdom come. So as we look at the kingdom coming, I think the next, this is a good segue, as you mentioned, because this next section is something that if you don't think you have an issue with um, treasures, which I, I can't believe that you would after that, this next one just brings us to the ground where we all are anxious over something. And Jesus calls us out on it. He calls out our faith as he, as he hears as we hear these words today. So I just encourage you, our listeners, to listen to this and to let it all just play out because it's, like it's like a visual. He gives these visuals and, and points us to everything. And so for me, I want to, um, well, I'm going to break it down a, a few verses at a time just because there is so much here. It's starting in verse 25, and we'll go through verse 27 as we look at ourselves in the mirror. Verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? So I think I, we could probably spend a few hours just on those verses, but how do you want to start and, and bring this all together? These, um, well, these are very <laughs> convicting uh, verses as well. Well, who isn't anxious in the times in which we live now, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as, as we think of this anxiousness, maybe this anxiousness would have been different two, three years ago, but now we find ourselves in another set of circumstances which brings this anxiousness and anxiety to, to maybe for some astronomical proportions and, and levels of intensity. One of the things that, as, as I see happening here in, in this text, especially as we start in verse 25 in that, is, is again, the, the, the human illustration, the human pointing. I'm a farm kid. My background's I grew up on a farm. And <clears throat> I know what it's like to have that temptation of building a bigger barn to bring in the bigger harvest. And, and, you know, the, the, the challenge there to, to bring oneself back to the reality that this isn't your land, this isn't your crop, this is the crop God gave you, this is the land God has given you to be the steward. And so this, this strong pull here to, you know, harvest and to sit back and realize that, yeah, I'd made a good decision on the contracts this year, right? It's, it's all of those right. kinds of things. And, and it's a realization here that, no, this, this, you go down that path and connecting the previous point, now you're in that realm of darkness. Now you're in that realm of going against the first commandment and ultimately unbelief. And, and it's, it's, it's this law gospel back and forth that, that comes here convicting, convicting us, the heart, but then also bringing us back to the realization that the one who's telling us this is also the one that brings us forgiveness for the times in which we've fallen short. And so he uses, and this probably connects too as a, as a farmer, he uses visuals 
and he points he he points at these um at these birds and speaks about them. Do you want to speak further on that and how Jesus points at the birds? It doesn't say, "Hey, look how beautiful that robin is." He speaks about it differently. How does he speak of it? Well, you you might like this uh, this example. So my office window is looking north. Now I'm in Jesse Hall, so maybe you remember that building, oh, yeah. uh, Pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And so my window is looking out north to two old trees. You're pro- probably here for a long time. And the squirrels are gathering acorns, eating food right outside my window. I'm seeing them jumping from tree to tree. They're just carefree. They're, they're, but, but they're being fed, you know. And, and I really didn't think much about as I was watching this until I was looking at the text. And I thought, oh, my, there, there is another way of describing this, that they're going about their daily work eating, getting fatter, you know, they're getting, getting bulked up for the winter. And yet God is providing even the squirrels, right? And and it was just a reminder too that if if God is providing this kind of daily bread of sorts to the animals, what what more would He, you know, what, why would He not then also supply and feed His own children? And and I can't remember where I read it. But but the but the point is that look if God is going to deliver on our daily bread, why wouldn't He also deliver us for our eternal for our eternity as well? And and that's all wrapped into this initial uh, section here. And it brings us back to you know um, uh, give us this day our daily bread. It brings us back to the Lord's prayer, which we see in the beginning of chapter six. He just he's just like you said, moving us forward. Of, okay, here's prayer. Here's what the prayer says, and here's how this plays out in our life, and and that's another, I mean, beautiful connection as we look at the Lord's prayer and our need to pray, and then he gets to verse 27, and this is very convicting. And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? I mean, just think about how many times we lose sleep over something that at the end of the day did us no good. All we did was lose sleep and got more tired, but yet we act as if we're actually helping the situation. Any thoughts on that? Right. Well, I'm thinking as a pastor uh, in this situation, <laughs> and while this has been many years removed from being in the situations, I, I remember having a prayer with with uh, members going into surgery, and maybe you can relate with mm-hmm. this as well. That mm-hmm. when you do that, that's that. There's there are those moments when you can see the anxiety on people's faces, the uncertainty of of the surgery. And and it's such a witnessing moment to to share with them God's word because humanly at that point we we do have that anxiety and and yet at the same time it, as you said it's convicting we also have the the answer and the solution to that anxiety as well in Christ and so to be able to minister to people who you know who can uh, add a single hour to a span of life. No one. I mean, it's it's a rhetorical yeah. question. No one can do it, but yet the one who's speaking this is directing the listeners back to him because he is the one that can give us that life. And he also speaks in these verses about our needs. You know, he's going to speak about um, uh, food here, drink, and then he's going to lead to clothing. And that's something I I read quite a bit about is is we, we, we have to be careful in America, especially that we start making this into a kind of a health and wealth thing where, you know, that, uh, Hey, you know, don't be anxious. God will give you loads and loads and loads of this or that. But 
but it is a reflection for us to realize that God's going to provide for our needs. If he's going to provide for those sparrows in the barn, uh, the birds, um, he's also going to provide for you. So that's kind of a conviction as well as to think, why would the God of all creation who's died for me not also provide for me, but not necessarily give me the mansion that I think I might need or something along those lines. So any, any thoughts on that before we move on to uh, uh, clothing? Well, I, I, as I see this play out in, in this section, Jesus is identifying those, those situations that are, eat, that, that are sort of just, I'm not, I was going to say eternal, but that's not the word, but, but these are the ongoing ever throughout century things that the human body, the human nature desires and, and thinks it desires, right? And, and at the same time, we also know that in the prayer, give us our day, you know, give us this day our daily bread, that Jesus gives us that which we need. And, and as, you know, I think this is where in America we have to kind of take a step back because what we think is a need may not really be a need. It, it, it might be a nice thing to want, but is it really a need? And, and again, for us to, to kind of step back and say, okay, what are the essentials and what are the things that are not essential? And we can be confident that as his children, God will provide for us uh, what we need when we need it. Well, let's keep moving forward. As you said that so well, that really leads up to verses 28 through 30 as, we, as he speaks about clothing and lilies. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now, now he turns to clothing. He points away from the birds and he points to lilies, which, I mean, this is just, to me, it brings up so many memories of Easter and, and the smell of Easter lilies and so forth. But he isn't necessarily just, you know, think, he's, not, he's not pointing to resurrection, but he's pointing at them and, and speaking about them. And what is, what is his point when he points at these lilies? Well, I think the the point here is the idea of faith, and we have we have come back to this a couple times uh, in our in our time together today. That as Jesus is using these illustrations, what what's really going on here is Jesus talking about faith and unbelief, and and Jesus is really being sharp and and in a very pinpoint way showing us that that fallenness of of the lack of faith but also then reminding us of where we need to turn to receive that faith. And, and so it, it, it's, it's an ongoing thing. Again, scholars, commentators on this text have, have said some really interesting things about how this story unfolds here, in, beginning in verse 25, that it's almost as if Jesus is starting in this big picture here uh, regarding the body and, and the broad picture and then getting specific and in this section that, that you've identified, now Jesus is, is going from that very specific thing about clothes and these kinds of things. But then what's the bigger picture here? Well, the bigger picture here uh, is seeking first the kingdom of God. So it, it's kind of like Jesus is leading us down this path very, in a very broad way to get to the specifics of our daily life, but then also to remind us that, hey, it isn't necessarily about the food and clothing it's about faith in the kingdom. 
And and mm-hmm. so again, as a, as a teacher, I just marvel at the approach here because when you start looking at the the style in which Jesus uh, conveys this this meaning, um, he not only takes you on a journey, but he but he ends up where he wants to end up, and that is the kingdom of God. And he ends, and our our verses at least, and and like you said, oh you of little faith. And every time I've read this, every time I've, like you said, this is a passage I've used before someone's gone into surgery or while they're in the hospital. I've read this, and almost inevitably, somebody kind of references that, you know what, I'm going to be okay, because you're right, I don't have enough, I have not had enough faith, I'm going to trust in the Lord, and not every single time, and not those exact words, but very much so, that kind of feel, and it really hits you, it hits home, like, wait a second, I don't have strong faith which is quite troubling at times, but also quite comforting because you're like, wait, yeah, he takes care of the sparrow. He takes care of the lilies. Guess what? He's also going to take care of me. And what a comfort that is for us as Christian people. Anything else be, uh, for those verses before we move on? Well, one of the things here about the, the term little faith, and again, it kind of depends upon the English translation here, but this is where I really appreciate Dr. Scare's book because he talks about the idea of little faith that it may not really be a rebuke. In fact, he says it might mm. be just the opposite. It might oh. be an offer of encouragement. Again, because if you think of Matthew's gospel, that this is really a catechesis uh, audience here, uh, being taught not only the, the discourses and the teachings of Jesus, but also the narratives that, that are taking place in Jesus' ministry. As catechumens read this, who are new to the faith, who are young in faith, maybe this isn't uh, a slight or or a condemnation at all. Maybe it's simply to say, look, you of little faith, young in faith, understand what's what I'm saying to you, and the Father has all things provided for you. Well, I, I definitely like that. I'm going to have to re- rethink a little bit how I approach it, but that really does make sense that we're all growing um, in this faith, and and the teaching portion, like you said, that that you know, I'm going to have to gather my mind here a little bit as I think about that. So let's move on in the verses. We'll go 31 to 33. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, "What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear?" For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I want to end there just because verse 33 is so vital. Make sure we cover it. Um, But basically, he brings it all back together. Like you said, a good teacher. Don't worry about this, this, or that that I've been mentioning because the Lord knows you need them. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. How is Verse 33 is always fascinating to me. But before we get to that, anything in those uh, 31 and 32 you wanted to highlight? Well, you know, excuse me. In verse 32, where it says, Gentiles seek after these things, we certainly can identify with that. Uh, we know in our Western society that there are certain things that Westerners pursue uh, that maybe in other cultures and other uh, lands do not. Uh, but the idea here, though, is that we understand that that temptation is always there. So whether it's title or income or maybe it's, you know, family in certain cultures, right, mm-hmm. uh, to, to be reminded of the fact that all of these things have potential to be idols for us if we put that first and not God first. And so 
that that's that's what kind of comes to my mind when I hear the term Gentile. And well, yeah, we definitely can relate with that because because then it leads us. Well, first of all, God knows this all. Let's let's not forget that, and that's a right. <laughs> that's a very humbling thing that God knows it all. So let's not act like God's in the dark. You know, uh, right? Uh, he's the one. He's the one. He's our light, and He knows that. But verse thirty three, I think, is something that I always want to. Uh, uh, you know, flesh it out a little bit because it can be confusing. How? What would you say when you say, "Well, how do I seek the seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? How do I do that as a Christian person?" What would you tell them? Well, first off, I would say you don't personally. <laughs> I don't um, I repent. Mean, yeah. <laughs> well, well, right. I mean, it, it's it's God's work, right? And it it this is so easy to to look at this text and to go off the rails very quickly, because all of a sudden we look at this as sort of a prescription here. here here's our prescription, right. Pastor. Just seek the kingdom and all this. So this is what I need to do. And, and again, to uh, an American, to a Westerner, give me, give me, tell me what I need to do, and then I'll do it. And then, and then everything else is going to fall into place. But that's not what's happening here. It's, it's not what Jesus is, is focusing on, is that he's really getting us to see the idea of the kingdom that is coming regardless of man or woman's effort here. It, the kingdom is coming, and, and again, whether we're in the season of Advent or the kingdom incarnate or that second advent of the kingdom, the kingdom is coming without any effort on our part, and at the same time as that kingdom is coming, the Lord is giving us his Holy Spirit to prepare for that coming and to prepare for it in faith. And this is why I alluded to earlier that I, I, I wonder sometimes if the temptation is to look at some of these ideas of righteousness, uh, faith, as sort of virtues. And, and it's not. It's, it's, it's gifts that God is giving to us in Jesus Christ, and by faith we receive it. And so therefore, those who seek first the kingdom of God, those who get the first commandment, you know, will also then understand all of the other things God is calling us and commanding us to follow. So instead of us trying to find something that's not there, it's more like, hey, it is there. Um, seek it out. Uh, re uh, say, receive the gifts. Is, is, that a, is that a right way to kind of see that? or how would you, that's, or, how, that's how I see it. I mean, I, yeah. you know, think mm -hmm. about the parable. You know, the, the person selling all that he has to buy the field, right? But why did he buy the field? See, because the treasure was there. See, and and so it it's all it's in our midst already. We don't have to go search it out and sort of be on some sort of you know personal journey to figure out what the meaning of life is here. It is right in front of us here in chapter six, and he's speaking to us. Therein lies the kingdom, and therein lies the righteousness. Therein lies. The, the identity, I want to come back to that because I really like yeah. that term you used, that therein lies our identity. If we, if we seek the kingdom and then his righteousness and his righteousness, therein lies our identity and our, oh. and our everlasting comfort. So the things that are added to you is that righteousness, um, is that kingdom that is ours that right. it, it, it's there. I mean, it's right there for you. It's not something you need to find. It's right there. Is that, is that the, right, the right way to look at that as well, you think? Well, 
I won't say that's the right way. That's how I'm seeing it play out. There you go. The text, you know, <laughs> I, 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 but 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 it's very easy, isn't it? Though, and again, I'm oh, kind of is. putting my, my pastor lens here. Is it's very easy for us to think that okay, this is what Jesus is telling me. Now I need to go do it. I mean, and that's how the Sermon right. on the Mount can sometimes be portrayed. But but mm-hmm. it's not that that sense of okay, Jesus is telling me to do this, so therefore, okay, now I do it. Jesus has already done it. He's already right. done everything he's telling us in the Sermon on the Mount. Now it's a matter of receiving it by faith, again, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through word and sacraments. The kingdom is coming to us, and we are moved to receive it by faith. And, and by that faith, verse 34 is just another reminder of, um, well, why, why we should have faith. This is what he's calling us all to in these verses. Verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, in some ways, I, I kind of wish he would have ended with verse 33, especially the way <laughs> you've unpacked it today. But he g- brings us back to some difficulty here. Where, but, it, but it's helpful, too, because how often have we been anxious about tomorrow? And we can't control tomorrow, let alone tomorrow we probably won't be able to control tomorrow, but especially right. today. Um, and so right. he ends it with those ver- that verse. So what are your thoughts on that? We have about two and a half minutes left in our time. Yeah, well, uh, again, I see Jesus bringing it back to what he first started with in verse 19. And from a, from a pastoral perspective, practically speaking, in the parish ministry, this is the time of year, Pastor Finner, where we all are kind of taking stock of what the year 2021 looked like. And and it had challenges, it, you know, it had joys, uh, all of these things, and how easy it is for us to get distracted and think, oh my goodness, what is 2022 going to look like now? I mean, is, is God going to be with me in 2022? And, and it's mm-hmm. very tempting for our, allow ourselves to go down that road of, well, is God going to be there or is God not going to be there? And I think this verse here reminds us that, look, you are a child of God. I have been with you through this year and all the years previous. Whether they've been joyful or whether they've been sad, I am still your God. And trust me as we go forward into the new year. Pastor, with about a minute uh, left, these, these, this passage is, is absolutely phenomenal. These passages have been phenomenal. You've unpacked it beautifully. So just your last thoughts and your encouragement to our listeners as we hear these words, especially, as you said, as we look to 2022, Christmas, and our daily walk with the Lord. My encouragement to all of us here, Pastor Pinnerin, is to, to, to know that God's Word is powerful and active. It, it seeks to do what it says it's going to do, and whether we have a lot of things or, or we find ourselves with not many things at all, that doesn't describe who we are in God's eyes. We are God's children by, by faith, through our baptism, through the word, through the sacrament of, of the altar, that all of these gifts God continually gives to us are those things that reassure us, just as Jesus does here in this section, that God continues to go with his people and we have confidence going forward even into the new year. And that's really what Christmas is about. And I pray that as we approach the Christmas season, everyone can see that as well as a strong sense of comfort. 
the Reverend Dr. Paul Hotorf, professor of theology at Concordia University in Seward, Nebraska, giving us God's strong word from Matthew chapter 6. Dr. Holtorf, thank you um, for bringing us his gifts, and have a wonderful Christmas. Thank you very much, and, and to you and to your prisoners as well. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Today is, oh, you a little faith. But this is not about, oh my gosh, you have no faith, but we're always growing because his righteousness is there for you. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.